Hi, and welcome back to week five of our Who Am I Discipleship module. Today, we're looking at identity and transsexuality. This is something that has just really rocketed into our culture the last couple of years. And Carl Truman uh, just draws our attention to how much thinking has changed on this with that statement that has now become commonplace. I'm a man trapped in a woman's body, which in today's culture is accepted as completely rational. And yet, uh, if you were to ask any of our grandparents some 40 years ago and, and say, what do you make of the statement? They would say, this is ridiculous. And so how did we go from such a drastic change from that statement not that long ago being seen as completely unintelligible to one that is very widely affirmed? And so we're going to look at a little bit of that today. Additionally, I want to remind you of the first lesson this week that uh, where I said that so many of our attempts to deal with real sexual brokenness it often results in solutions that sometimes bring in a slew of another problems. And I think probably many of our attempts to deal with transgender issues and the solutions that are given by our culture are much like that Facebook like button, where that engineer said our entire motivation for the like button was to spread positivity. We had no idea it would lead to depression. And today there are real issues and real suffering uh, from those that are struggling with a sense of gender identity. And we don't want to minimize or dismiss that. Often, Christians have minimized these struggles, which makes the church a very unwelcoming place for someone who is wrestling with issues of gender identity. And yet, while we acknowledge that there is a brokenness and struggle and pain in this area, at the same time, it doesn't mean we need to accept the world's solutions to these real issues. Because, like the like button, Sometimes the solutions may introduce a whole new set of problems. Sometimes the cure is actually worse than the disease. If you remember back to the very first lesson, Wes showed us that gender is not a social construct, but something that God has created. Male and female is in some way tied to what it means to be made in the image of God. That it takes the union of male and female to represent the whole image of God. And, and this is probably tied to our ability to create new life. That just as God created new life in this world, he created this world, that we also image God and that we can bring new life into this world. Gender is something that has been created by God. And yet one thing that is common in many transgender critiques and pushbacks is a frustration with cultural stereotypes about what it means to be a man or a woman. And one example of this is just that so often, I think today, young kids who maybe don't aren't interested in the same things that their female peers are interested in or their male peers are interested in, uh, because of these strong gender stereotypes, they often feel like instead of thinking, well, it's maybe instead of thinking, hey, it's OK to be a girl and to like fixing cars, people now start thinking, well, maybe that means I'm actually a boy if I like cars, even though it's totally fine to be a girl and to like fixing cars. Carl Truman points to the work of the feminist uh, scholar Germaine Greer. Greer believes men who transition to become women are simply trying to conform themselves to what 
they as males think women should be. He's saying that so often when folks go and, and transition their gender from male to female, they look basically like the prototypical female model. Ironically, therefore, she sees transgenderism as in some ways profoundly conservative, that these men turned women look very much like the conservative picture of what a woman is conforming to those gender stereotypes. And yet when we look at scripture, it is hard to find a set of character qualities that are uniquely masculine or feminine. For instance, when Paul gives us the fruit of the Spirit, he doesn't give a list of the fruit of the Spirit for men and one for women, but writes for both men and women, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, which should be characteristics of both men and women. Or even if we go to Paul's list of character qualifications for church leaders in 1 Timothy 3, which is for a role that we believe is restricted to men, and yet for every single qualification that is there, it is not a character qualification that is some ways unique to men. But you can find other places in Scripture where that very same trait is expected of mature Christian women. Even something like manages his household well is something that if you read, say, Proverbs 31, we're given a picture of a wife who manages her household incredibly well. And that is to say that Christians should encourage people to model the fruit of the Spirit more than particular gender stereotypes. Now, this doesn't mean we just get rid of any of those kind of gender conventions. This doesn't mean we should say, oh, it's okay to cross-dress, right? Because Scripture doesn't specifically talk about that. Well, I believe that Paul, when he writes about head coverings for women in 1 Corinthians 11, he gives principles that essentially lay down a foundation that say Christians should not ignore our cultural gender conventions of the day as a way to honor there is a difference in the gender of men and women, that we should not totally buck against it, but at the same time we should also realize that it is not ultimate. I believe that we need to see these gender stereotypes as something more of a spectrum that are not essential about what it means to be male and female. And in the context of Genesis 1, when we ask ourselves, well, what is the essential difference between being male and female? The, the, the thing that I think is most clear in Genesis 1 is that it requires one male and one female to be able to procreate, something that is necessary to fulfill God's command to humans to fill the earth. That is to say that biblically, one of the strongest identifiers of your gender is not your feelings, not how well you fit into a particular stereotype of what people think a man is supposed to be or a woman is supposed to be, but is actually the physical markers on your body. Right? Your genitals and these other markers that identify you as a man or a woman. That biblically, the phrase, I'm a man trapped in a woman's body, has it backwards. That your body is actually one of the most fundamental markers of your gender. And actually this idea is causing tensions between feminists and transgender advocates because there's, there's this tension here in this. So the feminist scholar Janice Raymond writes, in some very real sense, female bi biology shapes female history, a history that men don't have because of their sex. 
including a history of menstruation, the history of pregnancy or the capacity to become pregnant, the history of childbirth and abortion, the history of certain bodily cycles and life changes, the history of female subordination in a male-dominant society. To deny that female history is, in part, based on female biology is like denying that important aspects of black history are based on skin color. So she's saying that biology consists or constitutes an essential aspect of what it means to be a woman which is something that we as Christians would affirm. And she pulls it into a, another realm to say that, you know, that to say that being black has nothing to do with your skin color misses the whole idea of what it means to be black. This brings us actually to a very interesting tension. You might remember a few years back where there was this incident with a lady, Rachel Dolezal. She was the president of the Spokane, Washington uh, NAACP. Uh, ch uh, chapter there, the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. And she was going around identifying as black. I think she'd even uh, changed her hair color and her skin color. But then uh, at some point, her parents basically come out and say, our daughter's not black. We're both white. And she was, we're her parents. She'd filed several police reports for racial hate crimes against her as a black woman. She claimed that she was actually mixed race with an African-American father. And yet when her biological parents, who were both white, set the record straight, something really interesting happened. She changed the narrative and said, well, actually I identify as black. She was essentially saying, I'm a black woman trapped in a white body. And yet what was the reaction? It was not accolades for her bravery, for being who she really was, but there was a hostility and charges of racial appropriation. Now, I think you can see the tension. Why is it okay for someone, and makes complete sense for someone to say, I'm a man trapped in a woman's body, but not to say, I'm a black woman trapped in a white body. Here we are running into the tension and an ultimate incoherence of the idea that is so prominent in our culture today that what I feel on the inside is what is most true. That this actually can't hold up in real life. That there is something about our physicality that is core to our identity. Whether that be the physicalness of being a woman and the, and the body that comes with that, or the physicalness of being black and the body that comes with that. It's then this tension that leads to, not surprisingly, a number of issues with transgender surgery and hormone replacement therapies. Abigail Schreier writes this book that came out recently called Irreversible Damage, The Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters. I didn't read the book. I listened to an interview where she really gives an excellent summary of the book, and you can probably find that on any number of podcasts. But just listen to the, 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 cover, the back cover description of her book. She writes, until just a few years ago, gender dysphoria, severe discomfort in one's biological sex, was vanishingly rare. It was typically found in less than 0.01% of the population, emerged in early childhood, and affected males almost exclusively. But today, whole groups of female friends in colleges, high schools, and even middle schools across the country are coming out as transgender. These girls, 
These are girls who had never experienced any discomfort in their biological sex until they heard a coming out story from a speaker at a school assembly or discovered the internet community of trans influencers. Unsuspecting parents are awakening to find their daughters in thrall to hip trans YouTube stars and are gender affirming educators and sorry and gender affirming educators and therapists who are pushing these life change interventions on young girls including medically unnecessary double mastectomies and puberty blockers that can cause permanent infertility it's just it's a stark picture that she provides and Schreier to my understanding is a self-described feminist and sympathetic to many liberal causes and yet she's kind of just waving the flag of common sense because she is shocked by this cultural wave of transgenderism that is so strong right now that parents are allowing kids who are too young to buy a beer too young to serve in the military sometimes even too young to drive and yet allowing them to make decisions about their bodies that can lead to irreversible damage. She writes, I can't think of any branch of medicine outside of cosmetic surgery where the patient makes the diagnosis and prescribes the treatment. Now to try to draw these things together, I think the crucial thing is that Christians need to tell people a better story. In Schreier's book, she notes that many young girls in particular are struggling under intense social pressures, often exacerbated by Instagram and other uh, parts of social media. And they feel this incredible pressure to live up to these ideals of beauty and perfection and body image. And they're suffocating under that pressure because they know they can't actually live up to it. And so she writes, young girls flee womanhood like a house on fire. Their minds are fixed on escape, not in any particular destination. A common response I heard is, I don't know exactly that I want to be a guy. I just know I don't want to be a girl. See, these, often so many girls are wrestling with these pressures that they can't live under. And they're fleeing to something and the narrative our culture is telling them is that well the solution is in making yourself a boy in changing your gender but christians offer something so much better than that let's return to galatians 3 28 there is neither jew nor greek there is neither slave nor free there is neither male nor female for you are all one in christ jesus jesus offers everyone a an identity that is greater than your gender. Jesus offers to make you truly human. He offers to make you into the person that you were meant to be. He offers to take you out of those incredible social pressures and that rat race of feeling like you never live up to others' expectations of beauty. And he offers to make you beautiful from the inside out. Jesus offers you free, true freedom from suffocating social pressures and he offers to bring a healing that surgery never could he offers to bring a therapy that drugs never can and he offers to make you holy and whole and let's say you've even gone down that path to have your body altered 
through surgery and other treatments and you get to the end of that road and to realize it was not what it was cracked up to be and you still find that hole in your heart and you hate that you have irrevocably altered your body. See, but the hope is that we believe in a God of resurrection who is able to reform you through the resurrection into the person that you were meant to be to make you whole and holy. Perhaps a good way to wrap up this week is by reading from Augustine's conversion. He lived some 1600 years ago and he uh, was a self-professed sex addict who was trying to find meaning and life in all kinds of areas in society, including sex. And one day he, after trying all these things and only coming up empty again, he realized God was what he needed to fill that hole in his heart. And he then also realized that when he was running around trying all these other things, when God didn't matter to him, he mattered to God. That God had his eyes on him. God had set his love on him. And God was waiting for that right moment to open him up to the God who was always there. And so he writes this in his confessions. Late have I loved you, beauty so ancient and new. Late have I loved you. You were with me, but I was not with you. You called, shouted, broke through my deafness. You flared, blazed, banished my blindness. You lavished your fragrance. I gasped, and now I pant for you. I tasted you, and now I hunger and thirst. You touched me, and I burned for your peace. Friends, that's what Jesus offers. Something so much more fulfilling than our culture's answers to gender issues. The hope is found in discovering what it means to be in Christ. <laughs>